Hello everyone once again and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're so glad you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey. Joining me, we have both Blend Master Ryan and Picture Master Kenny? Photog? Spreadsheet guy? I don't know. Spreadsheet guy? I don't know. I'm like... I like the blend master because he's not a master blender yet. So he's, he's just still, I think we talked about on this week in bourbon, he's at his yellow belt status right now. So that's what he has to graduate to the next belt. I think white's the, the beginning. I'm just the like, lowest. yeah, I'm like one past that. I think that is yellow. I can't remember. But, <laughs> Me neither. But Kenny's like black belt, you know, chief selfie taker. He's really good at those. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm black belt at that. I'm, I'm medium belt. I mean, I, I see a lot of people on the, the influencer side as well. They do a much better job, and I mean, granted, I was early onto the TikTok game, but I've also fallen off of a little bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not into the uh, as much as doing it anymore. But you know, I, I definitely still find myself gravitating to social media fifty thousand times a day, checking notifications and posting stuff because it's one of those things you just gotta constantly stay in the uh, the eye of the consumer and what people are up to. Yeah, if you take one day off, next thing you know is. There's somebody else taking the throne. Yep. You know, yep. filling right. up the screen with uh, Blanton's videos and whatnot. <laughs> I, I will say I did claim the handle on TikTok. Now, don't everyone go out and follow it one time, but <laughs> I did start the Blanton's guy on TikTok. And my goal was just to record myself going into various liquor stores asking if they have Blanton's <laughs> to see what they're... So, you know, because I, I feel like I feel like TikTok's one of those things you just have to have your shtick. You know, you got the guy who slams his bottle down and tilts his head and just pours. Oh, that one dude, nod. Ryan. Yeah, he's good. That one dude, Ryan. You've got, you know, you got people who just have their shtick. And so I was like, you know what my shtick should be? Just asking if these stores have Blanton's. But I would hate for them to have it. And I end up with Blanton's. Like, that's the worst <laughs> thing that could happen in this situation. That, that would be funny. It'd be like the karaoke guy in the car, but just be you going around asking for blends. To do that, I think the, the easier way to might be able to do it is record your phone conversation. See if you can make a phone call doing it, because how fast can you get somebody to hang up on you is probably the, the new goal. <laughs> Who's that guy that used to prank call? <laughs> like, I had all the CDs. We listened to him in high school. What, like Crank Yankers? No, like Roy D. Mercer or something. He was like, oh, I don't know. How big a boy are you? I don't know. Is this redneck dude who prank call, call people? I don't know. It's pretty funny. Hopefully, somebody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, was was somebody part of Blue Collar <laughs> Comedy Tour? <laughs> I think so. I don't think it was. I don't know. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was funny. Like these jokes are falling off all over the place. Yeah, swing and miss, but they're they're funny. You, you should look them up. Roy D. Mercer. Well, speaking of social media influencers and failures on influencers um we're gonna pivot actually and not talk about comedians failing at all but we might hit on celebrities a little bit because uh coming off of the last couple episodes that we had where we talked brand loyalty if you didn't catch an episode go back and listen episode before that where we had jay west on we talked about reviewing whiskey go back and listen to that one but on that episode i had mentioned wanting to have the guys on and talk about media samples, influencers, talking about how these things work in our realm, specifically with the guys who both have it on one side from Bourbon Pursuit, where they're receiving from brands samples, 
putting out content as bourbon pursuit for people to trust and also having a brand to support and having a sample set for folks to to try for the brand and get the word out because i feel that there are there's a lot about making sure you're transparent whether you've been given a sample whether you might have biases that might sway you one way or another when it comes to samples and people who just don't like or don't trust folks who are given whiskey to talk about in exchange for anything or you know when they say oh it's it's free there's there's no strings attached well i mean you know we kind of know there is a little bit of a string attached you know you're probably going to say something even if they just send it to you if you were a content creator you're going to say this is content for me oh it's free there's no strings attached but this will give me something and there are a lot of people who don't really agree with that so i want to just kind of open this up and get your all's perspective on this as being two brands who see it both ways how have you seen it maybe cause issues? What do you see some of its strengths from the bourbon pursuit side? And likewise, when it comes to pursuit spirits? Well, that's, that's a whole lot of worms to open up right there in a, via a can. So let, let's start for, let's just start from the, the bourbon pursuit side and I'll kind of give an idea and also some background and hopefully some context on, on why we started it and the overall goal and, and sort of the, I guess you could say our our ethical standpoint on the, on it as well. So when Ron and I, we started Bourbon Pursuit, the idea was that it would never be a whiskey review type podcast. Never wanted to do it. That was never going to be our thing because we always looked at each other and said, who are we? We're not people that could go and judge a whiskey and tell people, this is what you should buy. This is what you shouldn't buy, so on and so forth, because uh, again, we had no names, we carried no weight inside this realm, and we didn't feel that it would have been given any due diligence to any brand to do anything like that. And I can remember, it probably took a solid two plus years, maybe, maybe yeah, but at least two years, maybe a little bit over that for actually us to get our first media sample in the, in the mail. And I remember, I can't remember the exact bottle or anything like that, but I do remember just getting a package one time and, you know, handing my information off to somebody and getting it. And then all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, we just got a free bottle of whiskey in the mail. We had been buying everything up until this point. And to this day, we still buy a lot of stuff. So don't get me wrong. We still, we still get an opportunity to try a lot of stuff. We still buy a lot of stuff. And even when we started getting some stuff in the mail, a lot of that was just, okay, we'll do an Instagram photo. We'll do something just to say... Thank you for sending it our way. But we still didn't want to do whiskey reviews. It took a little bit more time until we got a lot of comments from individuals, uh, listeners, everything like that, when there would be a new whiskey release, because we essentially the, the opening of Bourbon Pursuit, we would talk about the news and we would talk about what new bourbons were released, even though we never tried them. And part of that, people would say, what'd you think of it? And we're like, well, uh, we didn't really think that we would actually do that. I, I didn't think anybody cared. And then all of a sudden we realized people did care. And they cared a lot. And we sat down uh, between Ryan, myself, and my wife and tried to figure out what is, what's going to make this different? How can we create something that is going to be unique, that isn't already be, you know done by someone else on the internet? 
And, you know, Brian, you, along with a lot of people, like you do a, a great job in, in doing whiskey YouTube reviews. And a lot of people watch those and there's, don't get me wrong, there's some that are between, you know, like 15 to 30 minutes long for a whiskey review when you're watching something. And it kind of just struck me. And I, I just said, I know usually if I taste something, I'm an, I know if I'm going to like it within the first, I don't know, maybe half second. And I don't need to, to sit there and watch something for 15, 20 minutes. And so the real goal behind Whiskey Quickie when we created that was mostly to be for YouTube. It was going to be a, a YouTube grab because the original concept was that it would be a 60-second whiskey review where we would get it all done in 60 seconds. Uh, we continually failed on that mission because it became, uh, you know, two minutes and then three minutes, and now they're up to close to five minutes long. But a lot of that is uh, a lot of about some history, some opening, a little bit more about tasting notes, but we still try to keep it relatively quick um, inside of there. But again, the goal of the of the series was to be something that if you're sitting there and you want to find, I don't know, we'll say the latest Remus Repeal Reserve re review, and you see on your right-hand side of the screen, you see videos that say 20 minutes, some that says 15 minutes, and you, say, you see one that says 4 minutes and 30 seconds. What do you think you're going to click on? Probably the 4 minute and 30 second one. That's just what most people end up gravitating towards is how can I get the most content crammed in as, as fast as possible. So that was the the original idea behind Whiskey Quickie. And that has grown over the years. Now we have so much whiskey that's being sent to us that we only review or release one Whiskey Quickie per week. So if we take all the weeks in the year, we can only release 52 and we have more bottles than that. So there are some bottles that never make it to air. And I guess this also goes back to some of the, the ethical standpoints of what we do with Whiskey Quickie is that... Um, Anything that we do, we, we put a disclaimer on there that it says that the bottles are either provided to us by the distiller or by somebody or we purchase them ourselves. So the disclaimer is always going to be on all the individual videos because as a part of truth and advertising, as well as being compliant, you actually have to specify where you're getting these from. Even if you are an Instagram and you're doing a picture of a bottle and it was given to you, you should be able to, dis you have to disclose exactly if it came from the distiller or anything like that too. So there's uh, there's a lot of cool things that I learned even as a part of Bourbon Pursuit with uh, one of the latest podcasts we came out with too. And, uh, and part of that ethical standpoint as well is that we also want to be cognizant and conscious of brands and and looking out for everybody's i don't know their i want to say their best interest but making sure that we don't bury them i think that's probably the best way to put it and the reason is this is because you'll get a lot of we get a lot of stuff sent and a lot of things that come from the majors the heaven hills the 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 Jim beams of the world the sazeracs i have no problem getting a, a public review that may not be as the most favorable uh, to the brand. And that's because they're very well established. 90% of the time, people don't care about what our review says anyway, and you're going to go out and buy the bottle because it's a limited edition or anything like that. However, there are other smaller brands out there. We get a lot of stuff sent to us that are going to be other craft distilled, other stuff that's just more MGP, you name it. And if it's squib, terrible, squib juice, no, more squib juice, I'm sorry, more squib juice. And and I'd say the squib juice is terrible, but there's some stuff that is is questionable that we would say, eh, all sideways or maybe a thumbs down, and it just really wouldn't turn into a good review. 
we just don't review it. That's that's as simple as that. Uh, because our, our back catalog is so deep, we want to actually do the videos that people will care to watch. Because if I get a sample from some craft distiller that's somewhere in the middle of North Carolina, do you care about my review on that? Probably not because you live in California or Florida or New York or whatever, and you can't get your hands on it anyway. So what's it matter? Now, if we tried it and we were like, this is amazing. Like the world needs to know about this. Frey Ranch was probably one of those original ones that we had. And we said, the world needs to know about this. And so we put out a review like that. But a lot of those, we just say, you know what? If it's going to damage the brand and hurt the brand and knowing that their whiskey could get better over age or over time with some age, then no, I think that, you know, we know that anything you put on the internet is going to be there forever. So if we put something out, that's going to be a very, uh, it's going to hurt the brand and it ends up having some amazing SEO and search engine, search engine optimization and becomes the number one or number two result. And people go and look at that. Well, that doesn't really bode well for the brand for years on out. So you want to make sure that you're conscious of keeping those those relationships. It's not something that people look at and they go, oh, you're just doing that because you don't want, you know, the free samples to end or something like that. And like, no, I mean, it's, it's honestly because we just, we need to make sure that we are putting our best foot forward and getting the reviews out there that people actually want to know. I'm not here to sit there and try to save you from making a mistake on your next craft whiskey purchase. I think that's a, you know, your mileage may vary and buyer beware kind of thing. That's everything we wanted out of review. If we were going to do a review, it needed to be short, sweet, and to the point. Not that that you can't do it good otherwise, but that was just us. And whiskey is one of those ever things are always evolving and changing. And so for a brand that's sending us two to three year old product, you know, wanting our thoughts for us to put a negative review, like Kenny said, and it stays on the internet forever. It's really damaging. So it's not a win-win for anyone. So that was our big thing is like, Let's use our platform to help elevate the brands that deserve it. I just don't think it's appealing and some people might want that for us to like crush a brand or whatever, be harsh on it. But I just don't think that's, I just don't think that's good business long-term and whatnot. So typically, and people could say, oh, you're just homers, you know, you're, you're just reviewing the good stuff. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of money behind these brands and a lot of, even the ones buying squib juice and throwing it in a bottle, throwing it to us, you know, there's. There's a lot of effort put into this and a lot of equity and blood, sweat, and tears. And so you don't want just some tater podcasters ruining your career for for four years because you had one screw up, you know, you're just trying to start up and figure it out. So, yeah. Hearing both of your all sides from that and it not for the sake of arguing, but I'm this is I'm glad we got here because this is what I'm curious about. There are a lot of people who will take a reviewer stance who will say, I can pick and choose what I'm going to talk about. I will only choose things that are, for lack of better words, set up for success, set up for clicks, set up for positivity, or they want to take the direction of only positivity. And I hear what you're saying about not wanting to tarnish names because this whole industry want to keep the whole thing afloat. But I'm just kind of curious, what's the helpfulness of the lack of a public call out if something's awry or if it were to come to private feedback, and this is a question that can lean, you know, again, both back into both sides, you know, if, and it may be not specifically from bourbon pursuit, but it does get, I think this crux here gets to the point of why some people can't trust reviewers. If there's a product out there that people will avoid, if there's types of products, people will avoid among what they're doing, or they'll dance around the flaws to mention the positives. 
you know, where is the helpfulness from that if the if the feedback that's given might only be done privately, you know, in, in, yeah, I would say that question could be tossed over the pursuit spirit side as well. Like what, yeah, I totally see where you guys are coming from. You don't want to tarnish these brands, things that online, they'll stick with you forever and forever is a long time especially with the way that the internet keep tra- keeps track of it. From the Pursuit Spirit side, aside from hoping everyone loves the product, if there are any folks who don't have a great experience with it, what do you hope comes from that? Silence? Private feedback to you guys? How do or can you all get better if you don't hear that people aren't agreeing with the product you're putting out? Well, to the first point, I think there, there's a lot of reviews and – and like these rating systems, they're, they're so confusing and kind of, and I think you've talked about it, you know, some things above average is three, some things below average is three, or it's a seven or a six or this or that. And I'm like, what, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's any more helpful than just not reviewing it because <laughs> we didn't think it was good. So like, I think we're very clear that, you know, if we are reviewing it, there's something positive about this and, you know, if it's a, like Kenny said, if it's someone that's established and, or a, or they're charging an absorbent amount of money and we just don't feel like it's, you know, worth the, that's different. But, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll see people review things and pull the old six or seven or eight, you know, it's like uh or a three out of five and kind of dance around it that way too. And so it's, yeah, it's just kind of confusing to me. Whereas I feel like we're more pretty straightforward like thumbs up thumbs down sideways and or if you didn't make it then we really didn't like you so that's uh you know i think it's pretty cut and dry and i think that's as transparent as you can be and to kind of go back to one of your original points you know for us actually getting to the reviewing side it was a little hard because we're not the traditional whiskey reviewers there are people out there that that is that's all their channels are there that's all their blog is or whatever they're doing all they do is review stuff and so that is how they kind of lay their their claim so if they get something they don't have to worry about damaging any kind of relationship and and providing that honest feedback for us as part of the podcast we had these one-on-one conversations getting to really know somebody getting really to know the distiller getting ready to like have a very deep personal connection and sharing that connection with the world through the podcast and then to go and try to slam a product on the the review side is something that that doesn't really click very well so when we when we start looking at that we we look at more of a relationship building side of things and so for us if it's something that we deem is like this is just not going to be good like this is going to be brand damaging for us we will just be silent if somebody responds back and via email and says what'd you think of it of course i'll go ahead and and give them my honest feedback there privately and i think that's probably the best thing that we could ever ask for is doing that uh you know one thing that we, we don't want people to do is is to sit there and hold back on us i mean if i sent you a sample it's because we want your we want your opinion. We want your feedback. We want your review. Uh, it's not because I know that you're going to think of us favorably or because, or oh, it's Kenny and Ryan of Urban Pursuit. If I say something bad, are they going to say something bad about me? Like, that's not it at all. Like, we, we try to keep these, uh, you know, loosely disconnected, I guess you could say. And so for, for a part of that, we just want to make sure that as we're giving samples out to different media folks is that they do take it and they, they run with it. But I also feel that, Gosh, I mean, this is kind of like the thing that we really hung our hat on is that knowing who we were and how much 
I'm not going to say that we've had, you know, decades worth of experience, but damn it, like Ryan and I, like we've tasted a lot of good whiskey over the past few years. And I feel that if we were going to put something out, like it had to meet or exceed some expectations that we would want to find in a whiskey. And so we just want to hope that when we send out these samples and people that go out and buy these bottles, that they are also experiencing that same exact feeling, because that is one of the things that we're very, very gung-ho on is making sure that we created a product that spoke to our type of audience and really spoke to us. And that's why it, it's not another, it's not more squib juice. It's not just one distillery in a bottle, but instead it's something that's unique. It's different. It's something that you can rally around. You can say, this is a lot different than anything else that I have. And I could put into a lineup and it's going to surprise some people. And that's really kind of what we were going for with it. That's a great point, you know, and as we've been going on this like road trip and bourbon festival and like really trying to condense down our story, that's really been five years and you're trying to condense it down into like three minutes. <laughs> and, you know, you talk about how we've had everyone and and on the podcast has taught us so much, but I really haven't thought about it from that standpoint that we were at a great advantage because we were reviewing so many whiskeys. You know, we know what the whiskey critic and everyone's going to look for. And so you don't think that when we were creating this product that we didn't have that in the back of our mind. Like, how is this going to hold up to, you know, some of the toughest palates out there, some of the biggest, you know, well-respected crit critics in this game. And that's what constantly drove us, you know, to, to not just put a half-assed product that hopefully we don't put these people in positions to where they don't have to say, oh, I'm just going to give them a six or a seven, you know, just just so I'd keep them happy or whatever. Hopefully it's something good. And and two, I, I welcome, whiskey is such a subjective thing and, you know, palates are so crazy different that definitely welcome negative feedback because I'm growing and learning and so is Kenny and we want to get better. I mean, if, if you have honestly tried it and sat with it, tell us what you think is flawed. I'm totally open to that, and I welcome that. I'll, that's the only way you get better. But if you haven't, and you just call us like Tater Podcasters sourcing MGP, and this is just a shelf turd, and you haven't even like nosed it or anything, then that's where I have a problem with. On that quick kind of topic, and again, you can speak to it from both sides. Sometimes I wonder when somebody picks up a whiskey, and this gets this question gets pretty nuanced. It gets pretty nerdy. So I'll hopefully rein it in. But sometimes I wonder when people pick up a whiskey, are they expected just to be able, Kenny, like you said in the very beginning, try it and within the first half second, know if they like it or not, or do they need to know more of the ins and outs of the product? And what I mean by that is, and the question I'm getting to is, Neck pulls, what do folks right? miss? Not neck pulls. <laughs> just what do folks what do folks miss when they just approach a whiskey and they don't know the details? Like if they don't know it's a red harvest wheat, if they don't know it's bloody butcher corn, if they don't know, you know, do they should they know what the recipe is to know? You know, if you take if you go to a pour and you're like, ugh, this is super malty, and it's ninety percent malt. You know what I mean? <laughs> or you know if you you're if like, you were to well, go and you would, yeah, guess it checks out then, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's, and maybe this question's, you know, more specifically aimed for some of the craft distillers, because I feel like a lot of the craft whiskey that I've tried, they have a, a lot of varying profiles compared to the legacy brands that we've tried for a while. 
And so, like you said, Kenny, it's more of a, your models may vary, proceed with caution. And so that that's actually where I kind of wonder that if the question is, should people be able to just try the product and know I like it or I don't, regardless of what it is, what price it is, whatever? Or do they have to know the whole story when it comes to pursuit spirits? Do people need to know it was a blend of three spirits? It's not more squib juice. We put our hot heart and soul in this. Or do they just need to say, what's it taste like? What's the price point? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. I feel context is necessary. And I think context helps with literally any product. And other than a, a mainstay product, because I mean, Evan Williams, of course, probably doesn't need a whole lot of context to it. Everybody kind of knows because it's just a massive brand. And when you're doing or you're introducing something new, I feel that context helps. I mean, even when we do Whiskey Quickies, what do we start off with every single review? We don't just dive into it. I start off with context. I start off with talking either about the mash bill, uh, the story behind it, you know, what master distiller stuck his foot in the mash tub and all of a sudden this one has a funkier taste to it. Like there's some, there's some kind of context to it that I think sets the scene for anything that you're going into it. And Ryan has always said it best and people have said it on the show before is that, you know, whiskey is, it's marketing. It's a story. And when you go and you're going to taste something, you're really tasting a story. And it's not just, oh, I'll just pop out a bottle and get drunk. But instead, for what we really enjoy is we really enjoy getting that that sort of intimate experience out of it, something that you can look at and you can have some sort of connection to. And that's why I feel that there is there is a good context to it. And that's one of the things that that I love really doing that we've been doing a lot with this, this road show recently in this tour is when Ryan and I go out, we do a lot of these private events afterwards. And these private events aren't just, oh, you get to hear and speak to Ryan and Kenny, but instead, and we did the first time ever at Pursuit Palooza was doing a United Breakdown. I know we talked about it on the show before, being able to try all the three components individually at cask strength. So you can, te- so you can see what they really are and their, their full capacity, and then you can see it, what it's like after it's blended by looking at a proprietary formula. And I think that has been something that resonates with people because then they can kind of see the the artistry and the mastery that kind of goes into figuring out, okay, that's not just a 30, 30, you know, 33, 33, 33 of, you know, all the components that go into it. But instead, it's, it's truly something that takes some time to figure out not only just for the proportions, the proof, um, everything else that, that really goes into making the whiskey into the final product. And I feel like that's really resonated with people here recently as we've been doing these private events. Yeah, I think it's going to be different based on the consumer. You know, a lot of consumers are just going to be like, is it Kentucky? <laughs> is it 40 bucks or less? And, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> You're like, Damn it, we can't if it's, there. And if it's not, I'm not interested. I don't give a shit how much you, time you spent blending, how much, you know, the store and this and that, but... I don't know. A lot of people, though, have uh, definitely to a generational thing. Like, I would say probably, you know, 50 and younger, it's definitely more into like a a connection type with products and brands and more stories. They're not so like just price conscious or fixated on, you know, one thing. But uh, I think there's what you just said right there. I think there's something to be said about how do you create that that connotation, that correlation in like less than five words because if somebody can look at a brand and I think barrel bourbon is a great one. You look at barrel bourbon, you go, 
they blend different stuff at cash strength. Right. Like that's that's their whole that's their whole brand right there. And I think that is probably what maybe maybe we're missing to a degree. I know we've had to take five years, boil it down to three minutes. Now we need to boil it down to seven words or less. And, <laughs> and I think that's probably the next thing we, we need to do. We need a tweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's less than a tweet. That's, that's, that's 140 tweet, yeah. characters. So less than, a, less than a tweet. So if we See, can get I it down to seven words. I'm not on less. Twitter. <laughs> well, actually, I think that's even up to 280 characters now. Needless to say, the, the idea is that most brands is that if you can figure out exactly what their identity is in seven words or less then you remove that idea, that need to have, as Brian said earlier, that huge kind of backstory about what goes into it. Because every time you see a new barrel bourbon release, batch 30, batch 31, batch 32, so on and so forth, the same kind of story resonates and it still exists, right? They blend bourbon at cash strength. So, that's that's the one thing that we should probably figure out is how do we how do we take that and turn our story into seven words or less? Yeah, whereas Russell's, you go, all right, Eddie and Jimmy Russell. <laughs> Four <laughs> roses, you say, ten mash fills, <laughs> ten yep. or ten recipes. This is this is starting to come. Get out the whiteboard, Brian. Start. <laughs> <laughs> See, we Check sit it. here and we start talking. All of a sudden, the brainstorming session starts. I mean, I guess as you as a consumer, Brian, you go out. You're, you're looking at the, you go to Evergreen or whatever, and you're looking at what to try on their bar. What are you looking for? Something new, something old, something refreshing. It could, it could be anything. You know, I'm actually going to expand from where, what you just mentioned, because Evergreen's a weird pocket. And I don't think it would resonate with all of our listeners because Evergreen has their picks and then they have the new, new, right? Which would be something like, oh, I watched your all's review and now they have it on bar. I want to go try it. I saw what Fred Minnick had to say. I want to go try it. And some of the things, the allocations you can't try, I would try that. But I wouldn't say that's the same in a general bar experience. I think it really just depends on what type of bar it is. So that it might not be pertinent to this kind of question. You know, if I go to neat, I'm trying some random dusty. If I'm going to another bar, I don't know, whatever sticks out to me, a, a pick from a brand that I like to follow or some weird suggestion, which has happened a time or two. Also a distillery that I don't see very often in our market, or I'll ask the bartender, what have people been leaning towards? What's been popular? Do you enjoy something on the bar? You know, what's the underdog on the bar right now? You know, I'll, I'll ask any types of those questions. I don't know if those really go the direction that you were hoping no, but, I like that. I like the, what's the underdog that I'm missing right now? That's a good one. I guess the kind of question that I have on that topic, not necessarily pertaining to this one though, is, you know, are you all in the bars of the states that you're in too, or just in the liquor stores? So are people able to go and have that kind of experience also in the markets that you're touring in when they, when they can't find the bottles on the shelf? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Mostly in the liquor store. And, but that's, that's slowly changing. You know, that's one of those things that that is a that is a different sales motion as we've learned through this whole process is that when you go when you go into a, a distributor they have different teams these different teams have different accounts that they go and talk to and so some are all for on premise and some are for off premise and so the on premise accounts are the all the restaurants and everything like that restaurants bars nightclubs you name it and so those are those are, it's a, again, a different sales motion and you've got to have a different sales team. 
However, we are we're slowly making some some headway inside there. And the only reason I know this is because of our first control state going to Ohio. They equip you with some amazing tool sets that you can go and you can see exactly who is buying your product, what stores are carrying it, how many bottles have sold from those individual stores, what stores sold to wholesale accounts, and and where they're going. And so you get an idea exactly that, okay, if it's a wholesale account that's buying it from a store, that means it's going to a bar somewhere. And so I can tell you already, there is about 25 to 35 bottles of Pursuit United sitting in some bars already around Ohio. So that's a, that's a pretty good kind of little, you know, little way that you can see of kind of that happening. Granted, Ohio is a, a very odd way to look at this because it's a control state and you have a lot of this tool sets available to you. Everywhere else, it's a, uh, <laughs> I want to say it's a shot in the dark, but it's a lot more communication involved to be able to get those reports and, and whatnot from your, your distributors. You know, being in the bar is, you know, from talking to people and now being in the, you know, when you get in this, you're like, I want to be in every bar, but then you realize that most bars are only going to buy like <laughs> one or two bottles at a time. And it's, you know, a where year, you, a year you know, at best, a year, right? You have to look at it as like a, I don't want to say loss leader, but uh, a marketing expense. And so when I was down in Tennessee, I had some free time and I would just go to bars and, you know, a lot of people really like, you know, our rye whiskey and bartenders particularly love rye whiskey. And I was like, just carrying around my bag of booze and <laughs> I'm like a, the traveling salesman going to bar and I'm like, you want to try some rye whiskey? And then I'm like, make me a cocktail with this rye whiskey. That's different from anything on your menu. And you know, they, that's what they would do. And it was fascinating. And they really like connected with it and they enjoyed, you know, that product and creating special recipes for it. And that's how you can break a barrier with someone is with a cocktail, you know, you're like, Oh, if you're on the bar as an old fashioned or Manhattan or Ryan's cocktail at, the Oliver in Knoxville. Just kidding. But uh, <laughs> by the way, that- <laughs> when you said that, I told Lauren about it, my wife, and she was like, they should have called it Rye Ann's Cocktail. Oh, right? I like, like that. R- That's R- very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I, I had to interrupt there because I thought it was a pretty pretty good one. How many times have I, I can't tell how many times I've had a cocktail with a bourbon that I never had. And I was like, oh, it got me interested in it just because it's something I wouldn't have tried before. So it, it I think it's a, an interesting space to be in. And I think it's definitely somewhere I want to be at because, you know, bartenders really, I mean, for bullet, you know, brands like bullet and wild Turkey. I mean, they really catapulted them to, you know, places that they just weren't before, you know, the, the bartending community really, that those brands were smart in leveraging that community because they, they really helped grow those brands significantly. Yeah. But that's also a little different because bullet, and what they're trying to do, they're they're bottom dollar, and they so they've and when you're in the restaurant business, sure, you've got, yeah. you've got to make a product utilizing the least expensive ingredients to be able to make your margin on it. So I can see that um, it, for us, I, I I feel that it'd be it'd be an honor. It's great to be in you know some well known whiskey bars. I think that's a just a an obvious place for us to be at. But I would also enjoy the the opportunity to actually be at some places that. For people that maybe it's not so obvious, but if there's anybody out there that's a listener that owns a restaurant that maybe not be a big whiskey restaurant, but you have a few whiskeys on the menu, like that's the cool place to be able to go because that's where you can make the most impact when you have 
nine bourbons on the menu. You've got Booker's, you got Baker's, you got Heaven Hill, you got Knob Creek, and you got Pursuit United. And you're like, what's this Pursuit United stuff? Like, I think that actually makes a really big impact because the server or the owner, whoever it is, actually knows our story and, and they could be, you know, good ambassadors of our brand too. So if you're out there and you're listening and you own a restaurant, potentially in a city that we're distributed in, uh, within inside the, the eight or nine states that we're in, please feel free to reach out and we'll get you hooked up with a distributor and I'll get you. I told people this when I was been on our tour, they were like, Oh, I love the brand do this. And I was like, I, I think I'm going to make, we're going to make brand ambassador pins and just hand them out. And, and people can just have something like we got to create something to make sure that definitely people feel valued in, in regards of, of all they're doing to help us out. But there's also one, one remark that I would feel that we have to kind of bring up here. Cause I remember this very vividly when Ryan and I, we were, sitting there and we were starting this brand and we had to talk to Fred Minnick about us doing this. And he was like, oh yeah, sure. That's fine. You guys, you guys go for it. But I do remember Fred saying to me one time, he goes, just be careful. He was like, usually people like in the media that come out with their own brand, it's usually a death blow and it'll end up backfiring on you because you end up now competing against the brands that are sound, that are now sending you stuff or that are trying to get media mentions out of you and all this other kind of stuff. I would say that for the large 99.9% majority, I don't think that we've seen any sort of pushback or anything like that. I think that's been maybe because he was mentioning a lot of stuff that's happened in the wine world, but at least on our end, the bourbon side has been, I wouldn't say, it's not like they're welcoming anybody with open arms. Everybody wants their piece of the pie and everything like that. But it's one of these things that we haven't received any blowback. And in fact, as Ryan said earlier, I think that our show has actually gotten gotten exponentially better since we've gotten, in, we've gotten into this realm because we now understand more about the business. We're actually able to have deeper conversations, uh, deeper meaningful conversations with distillers, with finance, with looking at forecasting, understanding how distribution works and utilizing that as a vehicle and a mechanism to then more educate other people that are listening to the podcast that they can then start gravitating towards and they can understand what's going on. And that's half the reason why we started this podcast was because we are now learning so much on the back end of this that we are we're able to share it and, and share our, I mean, some are good and some are bad, but they are findings that we are, we're learning through this whole process of, of what it's like to, to build a brand, try to market it, try to raise capital, try to, you know, make it all work at the end of the day. So, it's been a it's been a, a fun journey, so I'm just looking forward to making sure that we can continue this going, and I'm I'm looking forward to the next uh, decade plus as we make it happen. All those brands that that are gracious and support us, and I think we do a good job of balancing, you know, covering them and us, and we and this whole community is about win wins, and I think I think we've exemplified that through the podcast and the brand. We try to keep them separate, you know, we'll talk about them, of course, on the Burn Pursuit podcast side, but we really try to limit it because we really want that to be the education for all the great brands that are already existing. The topic at hand with reviews and influencers and all that, it's um, it's an important thing. And uh, I mean, for brands, it's everybody likes a review. Look at, if you buy on Amazon, what are you looking at? <laughs> How many stars has got? Even if it has 4.8, what are you going to look at? Those 17,000 fake reviews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those 10 one stars, but people love reviews. And it's just helped building trust and rapport with the whiskey community. And hopefully we've 
helped built that, you know, because we have been reviewers ourselves, like I talked about earlier, and we kind of understand what it takes to to be a solid product that where somebody's going to not put you in a position where it's they're just going to crush you and whatnot. But it's a fascinating topic because whether people like it or not, social media influencers have a big impact on the market. And they also have extremely valuable data to these big brands, these big companies that they used to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for. And they're just getting it within a few clicks of, you know, or a few searches on YouTube. And that's extremely valuable to them. And and to us too as a brand. So it's I think it's a great tool and a great thing. And a lot of the people that are doing it are, are doing fantastic jobs and there's high production quality and you can kind of sniff out the ones that aren't. But uh, I think it's very important for a brand to, you know, build good relationships and rapport with those, you know, important social media influencers and whatnot. Brian, I got probably an answer to another question that you didn't ask, or maybe you didn't want to ask, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's more along the lines of like, who do you choose who do you send media samples to? Now that we're on this side, who do you figure out what to do? Well, I mean, we looked at some of the obvious ones that are out there. You look at subscriber counts, you look at followers on Instagram, you look at the people that we've interacted with over the past five, six, seven years. And you know those immediately kind of get bumped to the top of the list. And as we continue going, there are there's never going to be an ending cycle of somebody either getting into the space or somebody trying to be the next... YouTube, TikTok star, whatever it is, we compile our list. And since it's, it, and this is no joke, y'all, when we actually put out media samples, it is me and Ryan sitting in our basement, pouring media samples, packing boxes, putting on packing slips, pushing them all out. With a funnel. With a funnel. And it is a, it is a solid like three to four hours that we're sitting there just sitting, you know, packing boxes, putting, filling in them, paper, the everything. And so, when we only have an opportunity to fill 30 or 40 packages, we take note of who is actually putting out reviews and who's not doing it. So if we send you a few samples over a multitude of times and we don't see anything out of you, uh, probably not going to send you anything anymore. I mean, that's probably about the the easiest way that I can, I can put it. Um, so it's just one of those things that we want to make sure that if we are well, sending stuff out that I'd, we'd like to be able to see some sort of mention. Well, maybe we need to email them privately and be like, <laughs> like, what did you not you like about it? <laughs> I guess you don't like us <laughs> since <laughs> people could say the same thing about us, Kenny. So <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Yeah, I guess. I mean, again, that, that in and of itself is interesting. It brings back to circle that whole point that these things rarely are free. You know, they, they do have some sort of expectation there, regardless to say or do or post something. But I do like the fact that you brought up, you know, from a little bit more in-depth nuts and bolts side of things that marketing dollars, there, there's the uses and how you can stretch that is a lot different now than it used to be, Ryan, either from gathering data or just saying, hey, I'm going to split a bottle up 12 to 25 ways and get 12 to 25 people putting content out about it. You know, that's a inexpensive way to start getting yeah. press. You just pay 10 grand for a focus group to come in and <laughs> you sit behind a glass mirror. You can see them. They can't see you and you see what they say about your stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gotten a lot easier, but 
Yeah, I mean, I guess if we had more stock, we would send out full bottles. Maybe the one day we'll be able to send out full bottles, but for now, it's it's us divvying it out and putting in 200 mLs because that's the uh, that's the play that we can do and afford right now. You always do love when you a stellar review <laughs> for a whiskey quickie, and the they send you a full bottle. You're like. I'm like, all right, Kenny, who's taking this one? Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen to one of the more recent episodes of the Bourbon Pursuit podcast. I want to say that it's episode 379. They recently talked more ins and outs with compliance uh, of social media, of influencers and whatnot, which is, you know, a little tangential of where I wanted to go with this particular topic tonight. But if you want to dive into more things about the politics like that, go check out that episode. But for ending it here, I would be curious to hear from the listeners. Podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. What side of things do you sit on or do you think the industry is going or should go on whether people should be just saying whiskey, taste, needs to match its dollar sign or not, or whether you should be tasting a story? Guys, I appreciate your time and I appreciate the information on this particular episode. And again, if you're in any of our markets and you have desire to see Pursuit Spirits on a bar near you that we're able to get to, let's try and connect you with the distributors podcast at PursuitSpirits.com and let us know what is it that you're looking for when it comes to whiskey, whiskey reviewers, or who you trust to give you your whiskey information. Thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode and until next time, we'll see you all later. Mm -hmm.